Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Rob Pennington of the band By the Grace of God, Endpoint, Black Cross, a few more, and as you'll hear in the chat, his new band, Jupiter Hearts. We talked about Ozzy Osbourne's debut album, Blizzard of Oz, an album that holds a lot of emotional resonance to both of us. We also fill in some gaps in my Louisville, Kentucky music history knowledge. Equal Vision Records recently reissued By the Grace of God's album's Perspective and For the Love of Indie Rock. I believe copies still exist, but definitely act fast. Okay, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. We have a whole other podcast series with my co-host Sarah Blumenthal. New episodes over there every week. So go subscribe for $1 or more. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SpinningOutPod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Those things sincerely help. Thanks so much for all of your support. Please tell a friend. Okay, let's chat with my good friend Rob Pennington. Hey Rob, how's it going? I'm awesome. I'm glad to be here. Just got done with a long day of research meetings and work stuff and psyched to talk to you about some more fun things. Yeah, uh, so today the fun thing we're talking about is Ozzy Osbourne's debut album Blizzard of Oz from September 20th, 1980. So the question I'll ask is, was this the first time was this the first Ozzy album you ever heard, or uh, was there a different one? So the first album that I think I ever heard was Speak of the Devil. And so, you know, I was a kid, I was, I guess, in middle school, and I, um, I mean, I had no idea, like, that those were mostly Sabbath covers, but I was just enamored. And I, and I probably ordered all the cassettes, Um through the Columbia House Record Company, you know, where I, you get like 12 cassettes for a penny, but then you're locked in for life to, to order, you know, until your uh, your parents have to bail you out when you haven't met the obligation and they're asking for money. Uh, but yeah, I, I immediately was in love. I mean, I just, uh, um, or that kind of early metal, that type of metal, you know, uh, so Aussie metal was really kind of my freak flag in middle school. It really spoke to me. Yeah, yeah, I um, I heard it a little bit later. I mean, it's like I always felt like I knew who Aussie was, but um, there was just like a day I was just driving around and just was like, oh, this CD is like five dollars, so I bought it. And I feel like even though I was like already driving i felt like from that point forward it kind of like changed my life like i never kind of sat down and appreciated ozzy in that way um it was just it was almost something passively that you hear like uh hearing sabbath to me was almost like you could hear it at a football game you know you, you could hear iron man at a football game so it's like i didn't feel like any personal connection with sabbath uh it just kind of almost seemed like something that was like 
in your house already if you somewhat liked heavy music, you know, in a general sense. Um, you know, so that, that was my journey with it. Nah, you know, but, I, I just remember a lot of the older kids around the neighborhood, you know, that we were your classic kind of suburb kids trap. We were in a kind of a lower SES suburb, I guess. You know, the older kids were listening to uh, a lot of that music. And so immediately your ears perked up. And um, so I, I guess the gateway of that was like, oh, I want to do what the older kids are into. And then again, I was hooked as soon as I, I heard his voice. Yeah. And was this, I assume this was kind of before you, you discovered punk music or was it kind of concurrently or? No, absolutely. Yeah. This type yeah. of metal was first. I think my first like concert besides my parents dragging me to some bad country music thing was a uh, rat out of the cellar. Like, uh, so yeah, middle school, this, this was my jam, but, but you know, the lyric, like, well, we'll probably get there, but the, um, the lyrics really spoke to me early on and kind of what I was, you know, things that were gurgling around in my head like they for some reason they just kind of connected and I was always kind of like a I don't know pretty PMA kid and you know and and, and a lot of despite a lot of a lot of the, uh, the I guess iconography of Ozzy and you know it's like his music was pretty powerful in terms of like positive messages messaging and you know I don't know it's really funny I, I was I was thinking about this record I was thinking about this and diary and I was thinking about like early endpoint lyrics and I was like oh oh there's a connection there like it's really funny yeah I I think it's it's interesting that you so when you listen to like this album specifically you get like a feeling of positivity you're saying yeah absolutely yeah okay I feel like there's there's like a thing where I'm like like he's like the coolest loser on this album yeah you know it's yeah because it's like even like with how it starts like i don't know like it's like i don't know the answer to anything which doesn't seem like but there's so many things that are like a i never really thought about it as like kind of a positive spin on that it's i guess you're saying it's almost like it's fine to not know yeah or it's like it's fine to not have the answer is a lot of like the thesis of this record maybe accidentally no i mean uh I, I was total bully bait as a little kid. I mean, I like had, had Battlestar Galactica glasses. Like, I mean, it, it, it just sucked. And around that time, I was bust, and so I was moved out of where I'd made a few friends uh, to a whole other school. You know, and I remember being you know, driving my bus for an hour, being picked on by assholes on the bus. And here was Ozzy Osbourne, you know, and all this. And so, you know, it, I guess that was probably around. 83 or 84 for me so there were a couple albums out now and so his collection of music was that story of like you can't fuck with me because you know i'm going to switch over to diary real quick and you think about uh you can't kill rock and roll and, and that's a total like bullied story but but, but i've got rock yeah. and roll to carry me through kind of thing so yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah i got like oh well i don't know if you have you ever read ozzy's book i am ozzy i have yeah yeah um it's it's kind of like when you tie that even to like the way he grew up it's like he came from nothing so there's like not really anything you can take from him like and which is which is probably it's like there's no way that he like with him being kicked out of black sabbath like this feels like a response you know to it it's like you know i can 
get to my lowest point, but you're not going to get rid of me. Like, it's like, you know, like just like a cockroach in a way. Like he talks about that some in his book that's just like, he may have to go back to the streets, but you're never going to, you're always going to see Ozzy <laughs> as long as he can help it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny it's yeah. that, that you mentioned that, like at that time in my life, there was, I mean, my parents are great, but there was a lot of strife at home. My dad had quit his job to do something else. My mom was working late all the time, you know, in, in retail, you know, and, and and around me outside of our neighborhood, I felt like, you know, there was this kind of classism kind of, you know, never yeah. didn't feel good enough as a little kid and saw my parents. All, so, so again, all that again, resonated me as a young person, this kind of working person's the strife kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like when I think about um, kind of rock vocalist, uh, a lot of times like you think of more like bravado, um, and that's not as present, especially this era of Ozzy. It's very self-deprecating. There's like references to, you know, the occult, uh, you know, horror movies in a way. It's like a like proto Danzig, even sure. though Danzig was only. You know, right around the same time, really. But I guess the personality of Ozzy was, you know, much longer. So, so it's I don't know. It just hit me in a way too, because I was like, I was like into punk, kind of getting into metal, uh, but it was it felt like it had a. And people always use this, I think, lightly. Or, you know, they, they just say like, oh, it made me think of punk, but it really did make me think of punk, and that he wasn't putting on airs, like, mm-hmm. you know, like even with Iron Maiden, it's like. You know, and as much as I love them, it's a story about like, you know, uh, whatever kind of story they're trying to tell me, you know, that thing. Like, it's like if the theme is like, oh, we live in the future or like the theme is, uh, you know, someone built the pyramids. So, you know, Egyptology kind of stuff. But with Ozzy, it's like just guy yeah it is <laughs> you know i mean there, but, there's yeah, that, yeah. that theatrical narrative with Maiden, but with Ozzy, yeah, I mean, there are theatrics, but it's just really his it's an extension of his exuberance towards performing. So like, I look at him, we saw him a couple of years ago, like one of those live and loud concerts. And I just, and his voice had gone out, right? He was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm apologize. You know, he, he was trying and he wanted to make sure everybody had a good time and you can sense real concern on his part. Not that, you know, he couldn't perform, but the fact that he might be letting people down, like he's still mm. where he is. And I still feel that he, loves the people that he plays for as much as they love him and i and it's funny as like as, as an aging you know punk rocker dude who's been playing in bands now for about 30 years it's like i want to be that guy you know i don't want to i don't give a i don't care about you know as long as there's three people there you know and i can play and they can and i can make their day happier when i play music and it's like i, I respect that in him greatly and I, and I love him for it i really do yeah yeah it's i guess um going into kind of the story of it like just thinking about the shift from as like i am ozzy the book kind of paints you know like going from black sabbath to ozzy and then like finding randy rhodes uh who was in quiet riot i believe right before that and just like i i I like to think like where would randy rhodes be now like if he had lived you know and i know i'm kind of jumping ahead but it's like when i think about this record it's so much like it feels like a classical album but in really the best way that i can put that like 
every time I go back to it, which is like multiple times a year, it really surprises me like how almost like not heavy this record is, but I mean that in a good way. Like, like, like there's so much like good space in this album that I don't feel like we're like used to hearing as much anymore. And so it's like, what would he have become? You know, <laughs> it's a thought exercise that I don't, none of us would really have an answer for, but it's so interesting to think about. No, he would change, yeah. you know, in response to, you know, the, the listener community potentially. And then we would, gripe about you know how he's not as good as he used to be or, or so forth but um you know his uh, unfortunate death again kind of sealed him in this like tomb of like excellence where you know we'll always be like oh my god randy Rhodes forever and again it's not because I, I well and it's also because he was just incredible i mean he really was and and just the, this the riffs on those albums the uh the ways that he made sounds kind of happen, like the, it, 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 yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I guess like as we go into, I don't know if you had comments about like any of the tracks, you know, we'll, we can kind of go through it. I mean, I could for sure. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about, um, you know, I love, I love suicide solution. Uh, and then mm-hmm. my dad, I mean, this is a random comments, but suicide solution was great. Uh, because again, I was, even at an early age, I felt like I had a lot of depression, a lot of angst. And so, um, I could connect with that. And I appreciated this, like, I don't know. I felt like Ozzy was reaching out some, in some weird way, but, but my dad, you know, heard that song, the young man killed himself and saw it on the news and had snuck into my bedroom and stole all my Ozzy cassettes and threw them away. And I was like, what's going on? You know, it's like, I was so angry and so mad. And of course, you know, I had to buy them all again later. But I remember that was really the only time my dad had ever, I don't know, stopped me listening to music. I mean, he played, he plays guitar and and plays in bands. And like, so uh, it was really, it was, it was really funny, but I think he took it so seriously of like, oh my God, my son is, might kill himself. And so he went and took all those out so that song was great you know it's funny I was thinking about like uh I remember driving with my parents down to some fishing trip somewhere and I was in the back seat I had my yellow sports Sony Walkman uh and was listening to uh Revelation Mother Earth and was like uh it was like mom you know, I tried to explain to her the importance and how the song was you know speaking to the future and environment and, you know, and again as a middle school kid and then it's really funny, after you asked me to do this, I, I was kind of, again, thinking through these tracks. I was thinking about like the parallel between, so I was in a band later uh, called Endpoint. There was a song uh, called Black Skies. And oh my God, some of the, like, the thoughts are directly from that song. And like, I could see, I was like, oh, <laughs> there's the root of that influence as I, as I wrote that song, which is really hilarious. I do like the I, yeah. the I Don't Know song is powerful. Um, and this is, I don't know, again, I'm kind of rambling, but I have I had a really fantastic mentor, guy a couple of years old and I was kind of Myron Hardesty and he was delivering papers and said, hey, you want to come deliver papers and help me on the weekends? I was like, sure. And he was a couple of years older and was a real critical thinker. He'd also uh, experiment sometimes maybe with a few uh, extracurricular uh, 
<laughs> drugs of some sort. Yeah. But we would have these crazy conversations. He'd come over at three in the morning, knock on my window in the basement. I'd crawl out and, you know, and we'd have these big discussions, you know. And so he was turning me on to like all these different things that I felt at that time, like I just wasn't like capable of handling or didn't have the language ability yet or, you know, the, I mean, I was just a little kid, you know, to kind of understand. And so I remember that song was like, I don't know. And then I carried that through also as in a lot of the bands that we, that, that played music, or I'm also in the field of, you know, um, services where I will support families and kids with disabilities. And, and sometimes there's a, there was a lot, lot of pressure uh, within that, but also as a music person, there's something that we always kind of connect a lot with people. We get a lot of feedback. And, and so the idea was that like, I don't always know because things just start, you know, I don't know, it, it helped help deal with that stress of like, you don't have to know everything, you know, you're not supposed to. So uh, yeah, I just love almost every track on that album. I mean, D is pretty, but you know, it's not, yeah. not my favorite, but the rest are pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. I think the, the only, if there's like a, I, I like the song D and I think it's, but, but I think what's weird is like with it being next to goodbye to romance, kind of like going from like a down song to like an instrumental that's still kind of in the same vein. Like you're like, you kind of get, it, there's like a sequence scene issue sort of with that. But even with that said, I feel like it's like, I can't, I mean, it's not that long of a record for, mm-hmm. uh, for what it is. Like it's only nine songs and D is like, two minutes if you know if even um but yeah even when i think about like when i first discovered it um i remember i guess going to my personal story with it like i was just like kicked out of my parents house and i was i was 17 years old and i was living on somebody's couch so this was basically my first night away from home or the first morning away from home like so i had spent the night on someone's couch and then i was just like driving around because wasn't sure where I was going to live and that's when I bought that CD for five dollars and uh and then I just drove around listening to the album for hours especially uh goodbye to romance yeah. um because I, I yeah I feel like there's so much like you know <laughs> it's like everybody's having fun except for me I'm the lonely yeah. one I live in shame yeah. you know like goodbye to friends like it, it's also like there's so much like there's this is like a it's just a suicide record like it's yeah. like it's 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 almost like an idea of like what would have happened to Ozzy had he not kind of been rescued by this album or you know doing right. the solo thing like it's it's almost like he had written all of this in his diary in certain respects and we're just you know we're getting him out of the hole so I, I felt like I related to that in that moment and didn't expect to and um it's always kind of been like a go-to you know it's kind of like when you're feeling kind of bummed out yeah for me it's like you listen to a bummer song which seems like the inverse but it's like if you can kind of hear somebody having the same feelings as you as something you definitely don't like feel alone with it um and, and i assume like with what you were saying with you know like growing up kind of you know, I guess class issues. Uh, I assume you grew up in like Louisville, so I know what that town is like. You know, um, yeah, it speaks to you in that way. Like, and I know we've already kind of stated that. You know, it's funny. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, uh, yeah, it's 
I'm enjoying this conversation with you because you're like, oh yeah, it spoke to, when I met PMA earlier, I think it was just, I don't know, it was just healing in some ways, you know, again, again, it kind of helped soothe the spirit that you're not the only one in that situation, but it also, you know, provided, you know, good old crazy train and other, this kind of some positive messages within there. You know, you know, it's really funny. One of the, one of the, my favorite songs on this record and this is going to sound silly, but I also in middle school, I was just trying to figure out what the hell I was doing in, in life. I was, um, as a middle, as a middle schooler, figure out what the hell you're doing in life. Right. Which is mm-hmm. silly. But anyway, yeah. um, I was interested in lots of different things. Again, my parents were working a lot. So I had a lot of free time. Um, and so I was also really interested in the occult. Right. And so like, I remember going to Walden books and like, you know, and buying the Necronomicon and like, you know, not letting your parents see it when you bought it. And like, there was this old burnout, like tavern behind our neighborhood. And we went in there and, t- and tried to reenact weird spells and stuff. And uh, um, <laughs> it just, it's really funny. There's just so many parts of this record that connect to so many fun and strange memories in my life as, as, as a little person. But again, I, but again, that's where it started in middle school, but I still listen to this record. I still listen to, you know, I still buy Ozzy's bad records with, you know, what's that guy with all the tattoos on his face? Like Post Malone, uh, Post Malone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll still listen to anything that he puts out. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, and sometimes like, this is awesome. So do you feel like you were like in the metal to the point that you were like a kid wearing like jean jacket with like patches on and stuff like that? Or was it... uh no. Was it not so much? Not like, so allowed much. To. No, wasn't allowed yeah. to. Parents were like, "Yeah." As soon as I got into punk, like it was like I was sticking combat boots in my backpack to go to school, so my parents wouldn't yeah. see kind of thing. And it was like, "Yeah." Wasn't until my parent, you know, I, uh, my again, my mom is. I mean, my parents are great, you know, and they were doing what they were doing, you know, they um, what they knew. But it wasn't until, I mean, probably around 15 or 16, my mom's like, oh, he's not getting out of this. And so she would, you know, be supportive, drive me to shows. I get grounded and she would, you know, and talk my dad and let me out of it. Um, you know, she was, she was kind of supportive because she saw that I was struggling and, but saw that I was really happy with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, what's also interesting, like when I think about like the things that I was introduced to, like. I remember my stepmom coming into my room and like taking a ACDC live tape and breaking it, you know, and, you know, so it's like with, with year, you know, some years, uh, a little bit of years between us, like it's like, and probably even like kids younger than me, it's like, that's potentially still their journey. Like there's, there's still like people like 15 years younger than me that they, they had a similar trip. So, and that, that's also like such a strange thing that it's like, and I bring it up a lot on this podcast. It's like, I don't hear people like my age saying like Big Bopper or Buddy Holly really changed their life in the way that like Ozzy did and still does, you know, or even, I mean, there's other equivalents too. Like there are other rock stars that have been gone for a long time, like Jamie Hendrix for, for an easy example, but it still is kind of changing young people's life in a way that for some reason buddy holly or elvis presley isn't you know so it's like it's a strange 
thing to me, and I don't know if I really have a point. It's just that it keeps resonating so much this many years later. You know, if you, if you scaled out really far, right, you just kind of like, um, yeah. the fact is, is that people always are in this kind of dichotomous way of thinking, this kind of us versus them. And in some situations, people just end up feeling like the them, you know, and they find... And there are certain artists that speak to that, you know, and I think that's always going to be the case because I think humans are just really good at looking at difference, you know, and, and then when we don't know what to do with it. We like to, you know, coerce and oppress and make people feel shitty about themselves. And so there's always those albums that do a great job of capturing or connecting with those folks. And so, you know, I don't see maybe millennia from now, you know, we have evolved, but I think there will always be generations of people that just need some, some voice from afar on an LP or an MP3 or whatever that just kind of like reaches down to them and kind of, I don't know, gives them some sort of grounding. Yeah. Maybe Buddy Holly should have been asking more existential questions and his <laughs> yeah, songs. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. he, he needs the help now. Yeah. Uh, but but um, every time uh, like Crazy Train starts, I feel like I've, her, like, okay, it's the same feeling as like when Inner Sandman starts, and I'm like, I've I've had enough. But the difference is, is I'll have that initial reaction with Crazy Train, but then I catch myself listening to the whole thing. You know, it's like I'm like, oh, I've heard this a bunch, and then I'm in it. You know, with Inner Sandman, it's like heard it, skip it. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's like I'm still like sucked in on what is like the mo most overexposed track on this record. No, I agree. Uh, somebody just posted, yeah. uh, um, there, I, I saw a post in the last couple of days and somebody was like, come on people. Isn't, you know, the, everybody admits that the best part of the crazy train is the first part and the rest is garbage. Garbage. And I was like, no, no, I, I'm like you, like I'll hear it. And I'm like, Oh, it's, you know, I'm not super. And then once I get it, I'm singing along. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, the, the lyrics kind of yeah. kick in, the little like mid tempo, like, you know, I really, <laughs> yeah. and, you're like, and before you know it, you're done and you're smiling. You're like, yeah. Yeah. It's also funny to think too, like even with this song, like uh, so much of the thing I could think like any of our parents were thinking, like the, well, Ozzy Biden head off the bat, which he actually did. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the music doesn't always match the, idea of like when i first heard it like really put this on that time i was kind of taken aback with how like not heavy metal and in, yeah. in quotes that it was but it was also refreshing for that sense like i was already listening to like metalcore and stuff like that and it was like oh this is like classic rock that i listened to with my dad you know right uh so uh I know, yeah, it's it's strange in that way. I never evolved into, like, I'm in this weird place of, like, I never evolved into, I mean, there's a few, like, medley, hardcore albums I like, um, you know, and but I never evolved deeper down into uh, other broader types of metal. I, I like all the Sabbath kind of iterations and those types of, you know, bands that emulate that and some of that kind of, not all the way doomy stuff, but I never got in that. But then on the other side, I never liked, like I shut off Solo Ozzy, but when all the other stuff right after that kind of kicked in, like Motley Crue, Girls, 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 and Poison, and even Guns N' Roses, like I never really got into those. I was like, no, nah, I'm done. And it might've been this this connection between right then I made the shift to punk. I was, that was, that's what I was really into at that time. 
But even going back now, like I, I see a clear line of demarcation between these type of records, right? And then even the even the first two, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be speak, speaking about one record. I've talked about probably oh, everything. Oh, we're fine. I love, I love rambling on yeah. this podcast. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> but, you know, looking at the difference between, you know, that this these records, even the first two Motley Crue records, like the first Rat record, all those things that came, there's a clear line between those one or two years where everything else came after it. And I just, and I just don't care. You know, I just stopped caring about any of that uh, at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, well, did you get into things like, I don't know, like Y and T or? No. Um, <laughs> I did. Or, I did uh, like Wasp. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, like UFO and stuff like that. No, not really. Yes. No. So really Ozzy, and I know there are probably other things, I guess like Judas Priest sure. or um you know iron maiden which i i feel like if you like ozzy but that's also it's a parallel there it's like they were from in such a quick time frame it's like they were from like a before generation but they were really like doing it essentially the same time like even when you read like motley Crue's book or that movie that came out on like netflix like whatever time is was that last year who knows anymore um but it's like he it almost feels like it's like if he was 30, they were 25, you know? And so that doesn't mean that much to me now, but, but when someone is 20 and someone's 25, that does. Yeah. So that's where it feels like Ozzy was like in the way that movie point paints him. He's like already kind of like washed up in a way, but they're like excited that they're on tour with Ozzy. Uh, but he's like a gen, he's essentially the generation before, but it's like now when you look at, motley crew versus ozzy it's how many it's three what is three years you know yeah that's yeah it's wild like how much stuff would change then yeah and, and you know and i'm and who really talks about motley crew besides like listen to girl girl girls at like a bro bar or something like it's like you know and ozzy ozzy's still there right yeah i guess that's yeah that's, well i think like uh I, I don't know. I guess it's Sharon. Like, it's like, sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, he owes so much to whoever is kind of constantly reinventing him. You know, like, like we've already said it a bunch. Like, this record's amazing. Diary of a Madman's amazing. And really, he has, there's a lot after sure. that that are really, really good. Um, but to a point, it's like, with, like, the Osborne show, <laughs> and then... Now he essentially might he might as well be like somebody that sells credit cards, you know. Right. But but that's even like I'm like, how does he do it? <laughs> like a lot a lot of a wild. lot of help from a team. <laughs> but I yeah. but I still get but the it, sense and I and I don't I don't want the you know the curtain drawn back, but I still get the sense that he's like, All right, sure, you know, like he's just still psyched to do it. You know, and, and I need I need that in my life. Like I, you know, you and I both live in like a I don't know, partially in, in kind of indie scene punk world, right? And like, sometimes I just need somebody that just wants to have fun, you know, that really cares about the audience. I don't, we're surrounded by people that are, you know, that, that are very focused on themselves. And, and it's just, it's just really refreshing. You know, it's like you go to a whole year of like, you know, <laughs> dark shows and whatever. And some, some people are really great and you're like, oh, this is awesome. But then, 
you, then you, you know, you clean the palate, you go see like Ozzy play somewhere and you're just like, yes, this is what I needed. Then you yeah. go back to a bunch of self-centered, you know, people, which I, I think are all lots of, not just in our scene, but you, I don't know, people that do art, there's, there's a lot of us that are, you know, really focused on what we do and what comes from us. And um, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Like a self-serious nature. And I don't know if I'm like putting words in your mouth, like sometimes like what always kind of like kept one foot out of like liking hardcore or making it like my full identity was just like how self-serious everything was. And I could say that about like so many genres of music and I've been in that boat and been that person. Um, you know, but it's like, I try, that's, what's fun about Ozzy. Like it's, it's not self-serious. Like there's like, you know, he's made it his personality. And if you really, it's not even hard to say, like, it seems silly that I even have to mention it because it's like, but the Ozzy that is of the Osbournes and the Ozzy of this time, it's like somehow I'm agreeing with you that it, it feels like the same person, which doesn't seem possible. Right. You know, but kind of going back to that original point, like I, I, I do think it's refreshing to kind of like feel like it's like fun and doesn't take itself too serious as much as I personally detest having fun, right. you know, <laughs> but I like watching people have fun, but I don't, I don't want to do it. You don't want to have fun yeah. at all. You just want to, I, I, I can't have fun. I want to have fun. I can't, but I do enjoy when people are doing it, you know, so I, you know, I like a. I like having fun, but fun, but I also like it, from music, right? I I I like a sense of earnestness, you know, like mm-hmm. I, yeah, which I, which is mixed in there with Ozzy in that way. It's like I, you know, a band doesn't have. I mean, my favorite bands have never been like fun. You know, usually I'm as soon as some, you know, like a there's a lot of like young hardcore bands that are like bringing shit up on stage and like goofing around and like and i'm and i'm immediately bored like like i like that like i don't know that i'm gonna expose everything kind of like this you know like i like seeing people work through their broken shit on stage it's kind of always been that way you know and so yeah i don't so so i get you with fun but 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 that fun part is there but i also really do feel like that's just who he you know that's who ozzy is there's this connection to himself he's not trying people behind him are trying to get people in the door tickets wise but he's like all right you know let me out of the van give me some aspirin or whatever to to make it out i want to do this thing and he connects to that person you know and 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 yeah I don't know. That's what I love about it. So I like it when bands, like if their, if their music is very serious, but somehow it's like, they can't help, but let the humanity shine through. And that's what Ozzy is. It's like, it's not a joke band, you know, Mm -hmm. in any respect. Like it's not like there were so many versions of Anvil and stylistically I could see Anvil like opening for Ozzy in this period, but it's, it's not, the same like it's more mature but it's like ozzy can't help once again but let ozzy shine through and everything he does um so to kind of like pivot to another thought um if you had to choose and you only had if you can only make one choice on it uh would you choose ozzy solo or uh black sabbath oh damn you (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so because I'm a biased personal lover of Ozzy, I guess I would pick Ozzy solo. Though mm-hmm. I probably break out Sabbath records, you know, as much or more um, than I do solo albums these days. But you know that there, yeah. So that's what I'm. Gonna, there's no rational reason except for I feel that I want to support Ozzy doing his own thing. So that's why I would pick it. Yeah. And there's you know and there's a whole giant catalog you know and again there's little smidges of songs that are like good like on Black Rain there's a song that I don't want to stop it's so cheesy and kind of new metal but it's so awesome because again it's Aussie right it's like I don't want to mm-hmm. stop it's like I'm I just want to keep going full tilt that's a super fun song and there were a couple of decent songs on this well maybe one or two decent songs on this last record that came out but again so so yes I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my solo Aussie. Yeah, I I feel like I've said it to people before, and uh, I've said the same thing. I've said solo Ozzy over Black Sabbath, and there is like, it's it's like obviously Black Sabbath is amazing. Yeah. Like it's like you're still putting it's like in this god tier. Uh, which one would I prefer at this moment? It's usually Ozzy, and it's like, but that and then people just think when you say that you hate Sabbath. Oh fucking! And it's like no, we don't have to make that but choice. It's almost, That's the good part about <laughs> this world the the equivalent and i i used to hear a lot of people talk about like they preferred keith morris black flag to uh henry rollins black flag or they'll kind of like pick their singer you know but i feel like i never wanted to pick keith morris black flag because i think that keith morris did better work in circle jerk absolutely uh, yeah and similarly I feel that Ozzy was like a better performer, a better singer, and could be more Ozzy uh, in his solo group. So I feel like you get a better representation of him. And I think the highs that Ozzy has, like the singles, kind of outshine a lot of Black Sabbath stuff, but then Black Sabbath has way more material and you can sit in it forever. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so yeah. So I'm also going Aussie solo. Yeah. Good reliability there. Yeah. Um, but if you had to choose, would you choose Dio or Aussie Sabbath? So I also love Ronnie James Dio. I just I love him. He's awesome. But I would pick. Yeah. I would pick. I would pick Aussie Sabbath. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, just to kind of like also rile people up, I tell people that Dio Sabbath is better. I mean, um, but I, yeah. Dio has a better range as a vocalist, I think. You know, there's yeah. some cool things that he can do, but just that sound, that, that the pocket of Ozzy's voice that just makes me feel comfortable. Like, I'm always going to pick that. Yeah, it is funny that it's like they kicked Ozzy out and then essentially they were making in ways relatively similar music away from each other. Cause that's when Ozzy became, or that's when black Sabbath became more of like a hard rock band in that same way. Like riffy, right? I guess like faster and riffy. And you could say definitely onto like diary of a madman and after, uh, that it's funny that track. It's like, it's like they 
kicked him out, I guess, so they could shift, but he made a similar shift with them, you know, ac accidentally. I, I don't know. It's very strange to think of because it's like Ozzy solo feels slightly more akin to Dio Sabbath than Ozzy Sabbath, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, getting trapped in my mind exercise. No. I mean, if you think about it, and I'm again, this is not the... So from a, I don't know, a human behavior thing, I mean, I'm sorry. That's kind of what I study, right? Oh, you're good. Is this idea of that we respond to our environments, right? So if there's this global shift in listeners and what people are into, you would see bands. It, it makes sense that at the same time, these band, multiple bands would be making this shift towards these types of riffs. That's why you see like these kind of phases of music or these generations. Oh, they sound like this. They sound like this is because people are shaped by their audience. We like to think that everything pours from within us, which, you know, it does. We bring our own experiences to that, but realistically, you know, if you write a song over and over again and nobody ever listens to it or cares about it, after a while, you'll be like, well, I'm going to do something a little bit different. It's just the kind of the way human behavior works. So it's not super surprising, but it is cool that that that, that happened. Yeah. Um, well... Another thing, I was reading something about uh, like an interview with you and you even mentioned like how big of an influence uh, Ozzy was to you. I think it was like an interview that was like a text interview um, that you had. Yeah, yeah, I found it. I Googled your name and found it. And uh, so I never really actually made the connection that even vocally, I know you've mentioned a couple times in here. Um, that, and now I'm, now that I hear it, I can't like get it out of my head, but to think about like you using Ozzy as an influence for like, by the grace of God or endpoint, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me. It's really funny. People have said that there's, there's also this strange, like, you know, I also really loved Guy growing up. And so like I, early on, I always like would carry my notes out and I had this kind of like, kind of thing going on. Um. So yeah, those are both big influences. Things I kind of had to get out as I got older. I like, and by the grace of God, early by the grace of God, I sing so kind of high and, and yelpy. It's like, huh, which <laughs> is hard for me to listen to anymore. But definitely, that was influenced by the both those guys. Yeah, yeah. I actually, when I first heard "By the Grace of God," that's actually what really drew me to it um, because it it felt like. I mean, it just felt like slightly different. Like it, you know, it was like the music was heavy as it should be and, you know, things at that time, but it really like made it stand out from like the pack in my mind of that kind of era of kind of hardcore punk, you know, so. Good old Ozzy So Ozzy take the compliment. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Have you read about the uh, kind of lawsuit that happened along with some of the reissues? Not in detail. I kind of have a, a general sense of what happened. Um, you know, and I, you know, people said it was all Sharon or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like with it, it basically was like simply put to like, I mean, I guess it was Bob and Lee that played on this record. So obviously the you know it was Ozzy, Randy, Bob Daisley. Uh, Lee Kerslake and Don Airy. So uh, primarily like Bob and Lee were replaced on the reissues for a time 
And um, that's when Robert Trujillo like replaced all the bass tracks so that they didn't have to uh, pay Bob Daisley uh, royalties, you know. Which is, I mean, which is dis- disappointing and, and fucked up, you know. Yeah. But then when it kind of, I guess, fans caught wind of it, or probably other court cases, I would assume it wasn't just fans, uh, that was like, I don't, that's, you can get that version, but that's not the common version now. You know, like it it was restored to the Bob stuff, and I think they settled that out of court with it. So, you know, I guess pressure, pressure from the courts or whatnot. Um so I don't know if that that like happens to you too, where it's like something that you liked as like a kid, you don't like have like a critical lens for it as much. No, absolutely. You know, and honestly, <laughs> like I, I don't ever see myself. I don't know. I mean, I guess I am by default, but I, I hang out with a lot of musicians and love playing music. But I'm never really. Um, my I've always been so focused on so many different things you know like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like i had i had a, this i have this education life and then i had bands and then i had a research life and simultaneously as a research i was doing martial arts really intensive and i did band like i just never had the i don't know the bandwidth to dive deeply into uh kind of like music trivia or these things that are going on so some people are like oh, did you hear this i'm like I don't know. Or are people like this one guy was in this band and I'll say, Oh, Oh, oh I like both those bands. And you know, it'll just kind of go past me. Um, which I think is good and, you know, and, and bad. Maybe I don't get all the, the, the squeeze all of the love out of the records, you know, that I could by mm-hmm. learning about all those other uh, interesting features. Uh, but then sometimes it's good because I don't pick up on, you know, I don't know, maybe I just, it's just the music that I'm attracted to. So so yes, to answer yeah. your question. The, sh- the short answer is yes. Lots goes by me. I'm just it's in my head. I love it. I don't know anything else about it. Yeah, it's like when I, with even like doing this podcast or just like things I discovered like later in life, I feel like I I just dig into every single corner of it. But then if someone wants me to like break apart like liking. Like even Operation Ivy or something like right. that, something that I feel is like the kind of one of the first punk bands that I got into, and it's like I don't, I, I almost have to remind myself like, oh, those people went on to rancid, you know, yeah. like some of them, like it's not, it's not there. I know it's somewhere else in my brain, but I haven't like, and I don't know what that is. It's just almost like ethereal. It's it's becomes like almost part of your DNA so much that you don't even question it. You know, I do that. Yeah. I do that with all those early DC bands. You know, I'm like, oh, Great Matter and Three, like all the. I'm like, now who isn't? You know, it's like I love them all. I can sing the lyrics to them all, but I forget because it just becomes a part of like, oh, this is just again a part of as you said your music DNA. Yeah, um, I guess like as you shifted from, and thinking about this kind of useful shifts, like when I think about like how long I was in certain bands, it it could have been like six months and then six months later i was into something else but in that time frame when you're young it feels like years you know (laughs) like like it's like i've known about like who dinosaur jr is for like i don't know 15 years or more probably more than that but uh in that time frame like when i was getting into like lesson jake it's like i went from lesson or like the exploited to lesson jake in like six months right um so when you (laughs) when you made that kind of shift maybe 
because this tends to be the usual story. It's like you kind of become a punk and you leave those other things behind. Like, did you have that experience with liking Ozzy and kind of becoming a punk or how was that in Louisville? If any different, you know, it's probably exactly the same. It was, um, I had a, a friend in middle school around eighth grade. I was listening to metal. There was this really great young woman named Christy Canfield I became friends with, and she was like into kind of, you know, poppy new wave, like Duran Duran and Depeche Mode and those types of things. And then Jason and I, I don't know why, we got like a Husker Du record. And then I was in um, a record store and I bought Suicidal Tendencies first record. Uh, which is another great story back to the game. My dad walks in and was like, do you want your mom dead? What is wrong with you? He got all upset about it. I was like, no, <laughs> no. And then some, and then again, my right that summer, some kid gives me a cassette tape. One side is group sex. The other side is damage. And it was just like, mm-hmm. whoa. And so I made the switch and I really did stop listening. Like I, you know, I still had some like leftovers of like classic rock I would listen to and things that I would get. And like all those went to the wayside. I never gave up on Ozzy though. I always, you know, there that he was <laughs> I'm sounding like a devotee or something, but no, I mean, I always <laughs> still had him in the rep. Even our band, like if you look at like uh band t-shirts. So after the the my first band of I guess of note was Endpoint, like there was a whole tour. We had Ozzy Osbourne t-shirts, you know, it was like Ozzy is God, Endpoint shirts. And then we had By the Grace of God, there's a great By the Grace of God shirt that's like what what would Ozzy do kind of thing has Ozzy on the back of it. And like, it's still, he's, he's still hung around. And my love for those music for a few of those bands still, um, still persisted as I was learning about punk and playing punk music. And um, I think it was one of the cool parts. Like, I don't feel like there was any pressure not to, you know, Kentucky, Mm -hmm. Kentucky is a, a, one of those weird scenes where it's like, we have influences from everywhere. So like, you know, the bands that were popular around, yeah. I don't know, in the 80s were like straight edge hardcore and then like King Horse, which had their own weird, like, you know, guitar metal. I mean, there were slant. All these bands were so different. And so you were allowed to like what there was not ever any peer pressure to, you know, to listen to all New York hardcore or anything like that, which was I think was pretty cool about being that small. Town. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does like make for more well-rounded scenes like um, like I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. I feel like that was also the case. I mean, anyone that kind of maybe not anyone, but a lot of people that grew up in like smaller towns relatively to, you know, the A market um, would probably have like a similar story. It's like I didn't have the luxury to just be like a youth crew kid or something. No. I would have been very lonely. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you know, so it's like you kind of pick a little bit of here and there. It's like, because you want to, well, I wanted to have friends, you know? And it's like, so I, you know, it's like, I tried to, I was able to somehow escape from new metal. Like it just, it just kind of passed. Like basically my brother got into it, but I was, I got really into like, you know, Epifat kind of stuff like Epitaph and uh, whatnot. And then skipped over it, but then went straight, from that into like metalcore but by the way of rediscovering some of the hard rock stuff so it's like it's just little paths to kind of like what's around like when you live in like a smaller town it's like i feel like i only really got into metalcore because that's the shows that were happening at that time you know so it's probably growing up in louisville it was like 
once you got to a point and you were going to smaller shows, you kind of went to what was just happening. Yeah. And, and the yeah. shows were really diverse, which was cool. So, I mean, there were still like kind of tracks of bands like, oh, this is what this band sounds like. This is what Rodan sounds like and Endpoint sounds like and this. But we all had little fringes, you know, like of like, oh, how our friends would influence our own music. So again, those those channels weren't direct emulations of something from the other towns, but they all kind of bled together because we were all friends and hung out and kind of influenced each other in certain ways. So it's cool. Yeah, it's really I really appreciate growing up in that type of community. Like I said, I love, you know, I love Louisville, but I'm sure, as you said, there's small little communities all over the country that were very similar. Yeah, I mean, when I kind of think about it from a distance, like thinking about the Louisville scene, like even like circa probably like 2006 or so, like when like Young Widows were really popping and like Lords uh, was like another band, like the diversity that, you know, I would hear. And then even when people were like, oh, you should check out Slint, which wasn't a current band at the time, it was like there was always like so many different touchstones and having... I think also like having family from Louisville, like my grandparents and my mom, um, there was always, I felt like a connection, but there were just easily put just a lot of great bands that come from Louisville. And that's always like mind boggling, but not like in a negative way. Like it's like, what is it about Louisville that cultivates this kind of thing? Or is that even actually the case? You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's a, you know, if I said yes, then I'm obviously biased, right? So I don't know if it's the <laughs> yeah, case. Yeah. I will say there are a lot of great people there that people, uh-huh. um, pl- there is, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are economic factors, there are structural factors in the community that drive kids to find these other areas. And then people like, you know, people grow and switch and connect. So like bands will, um, form out of two bands right so you know they're like oh then, then it's something new like it's very ancestral in certain ways but like but but again there's always new members coming in and, and, and i think it's really different now like there is a reflection on that kind of early louisville music but there's a lot happening now because a lot of people have moved to louisville and so these like kind of units of people you know have kind of jumped in and and been added by somebody from another town and so you're seeing this even kind of further evolution I mean, Louisville's a, you know, it's still really cool town and it's still pretty cheap to live in. So people are still kind of migrating and finding their way there. Yeah. So I guess like kind of thinking more about the Louisville scene, uh, even like going back to Squirrel Bait, which I think is one of the best like hardcore bands that have come out of uh, Louisville, which they were children, (laughs) you know, at the time. Like I, I love that record. Um, you know, like I don't, I, I don't think people really talk about squirrel bait, but also I'm not super surprised because it is a group of children that played <laughs> punk, <laughs> you know, um, did you, uh, so I guess like what, when you were starting like by the grace of God, like, what do you feel like were your kind of influences or even like what was going on around that time frame that shaped you all the way you were? So let's go back further, I guess, because I think it, when you're trying to connect those earlier bands together, I think we have to kind of start with Endpoint. So my first couple bands, I was in a couple early bands, only one recorded anything, uh, Death Watch, and that was kind of the precursor to uh, Endpoint. Uh, 
I was I was in love with a couple bands in town. Like I just like went to their shows. It was so exciting. I, there was a band called Solution Unknown, which had uh, uh, future members of Slint in it. Uh, it. Just a fantastic hardcore band. And then there was also Malignant Growth, which was a little bit before my time, but they uh, evolved into a band called Fading Out, which I was on Drag City. Um, and they, uh, I mean, they, they were furious, right? They were so like fast and they had done some shows with Minor Threat. So again, they were in that early eighties, kind of right before I jumped on the scene. But I remember uh, that the guy I mentioned earlier, Myron had one day, he gave me this cassette tape and said, I think you're old enough now. <laughs> and it was the <laughs> and it was malignant growth. And I was just like, and, and a fading out mix. I was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. So, so Again, lots of things happening. I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, a lot of stuff happening in my life. I just met, uh, uh, started kind of working my way into the scene, making more friends. There were a lot of shows that were happening. Uh, and then I met, I was in a band called Food Fight that played a couple of shows. One of my favorite shows, we got to open for Soul Side, uh, which is really cool with this guy named Jason Graff. And Jason Graff, um, was really good friends with Duncan. And so Duncan, you know, they, they were, they're trying out for this new band, Death Watch. And, and Jason's like, you've got to let Rob sing. And Duncan, you know, I, Duncan just told me this story last week. He was talking about it. And Duncan was like, oh no, Rob rolls around the floor. And it's just, a, it's just a mess when he sings. And then uh, uh, he's like, no, you've got to do it. Have him. So, so Jason had me over. And as soon as they gave me a microphone, I started rolling around the floor and running all over the place. <laughs> and Duncan was like, oh no. But somehow they decided to keep me. Uh, and then we started playing. And so, again, this is like 87, right? And we switched to Endpoint in 88. We got a new drummer and uh, um, just kind of, we got into, I don't know, we were listening to a lot of hardcore, like New York hardcore. So Endpoint sounded like a really uh, uh, cool name. And Duncan actually got it out of his uh geometry uh, textbook and then i associated some meaning i think there was a little saying on the record about it and i was like oh it's about we're all reaching towards this end anyway um and at that time there were lots of things happening so there was endpoint there was cerebellum which was pre-crane um of course we were all you know the the generation right before us squirrel bait uh maurice uh, which again had Britt Walford in it from from Slant, and then Sean Garrison from King Horse. Uh, King Horse was starting around the same time as Endpoint, uh, and so there was just there was so much energy happening right there at that time. Um, and I, and I, my timing is always off a little bit, but right after maybe the when Cerebell around the end of Cerebellum, I think uh, Rodan started form started playing. So this is maybe the maybe 1990, I think, like Jeff Mueller and Jason Noble started doing things. They were, I mean, they were amazing influence uh, in the scene. There was Scott Richard who was doing Sunspring. Um, so there was a lot happening, a lot of bands and a lot of opportunities to draw people together. And so between all of our friends, um, not much to do in a Midwest Louisville town, shows started getting mm -hmm. really big. And by the time by the early 90s, us or Endpoint would draw, I'm sorry, Endpoint or King Horse would draw, you know, six, 700 kids almost every show. And so it's, so it just kind of kept growing from there. And then people, 
from out of town would be like, oh, you got to play Louisville on the way because the shows are so big. Yeah, get on with Endpoint or King Horse or one of their local bands, right? And so that starts. So we started getting more bands coming through Louisville, which again kept, which kind of branched off and started influencing people that were playing music, uh, kind of the core groups of folks that were playing music because uh, they were becoming more connected. Uh, it provided us opportunities to get on the road, right? So now all of our bands were people we were putting on shows and people were putting on shows for us. We were going on tour with other bands. Um, and then from that time, again, my timing may be a little bit off by a year or two, but you know, kind of around that 90s point, then other bands started emerging too. So you think about Falling Forward and Kendall's and Crane, all these other bands started kind of doing their, going their own way and, and um, doing you know, kind of what they did. And Crane was a little bit earlier because actually that first Death Watch seven inch was with was with Crane, mm-hmm. um, and so you had this giant like crap loads of bands, people coming through huge shows. It was extremely uh, reinforcing, right? You play a show and there's just like, oh my god, you know everybody, and there was such a strong sense of community. It was really um, tough, I think, because at some point, it, I mean, people got got really got used to it right we, we were like oh we're expecting you know if there wasn't like like 200 kids at a show people be like oh that show didn't do very well which is like nowadays like oh my god that's amazing and so so that that was happening and then we endpoint broke up um and there was a little year period so at the end of endpoint duncan started doing guilt and and I, I, again your question is was how did by, you know, what was happening when by the grace of god started so duncan was doing guilt Guilt was growing in popularity and was great. Um, they're actually re-releasing uh, Barstone Road Ugly Box at the end in the next couple months and they remix it and it sounds awesome. Um, and then I was in a band called Amarok and, and we did a little tour and, and didn't really record anything. Um, but I was kind of like figuring out what the, what the fuck I was doing, right? So we went from this band where there were huge shows um, somehow not because of our talent, but we were able to connect with people. So like, you know, we'd play towns and there was this kind of real big emotional expression when we played, like we would, you know, stay after shows. There's a lot of like talking to, I mean, there's like a, like a magnet when people weren't feeling well, they'd want to talk to you for hours after the show. And, and yeah. you know, here I'm like, you know, 19 or 20, 21, like, don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but trying to be comforting. I, I don't know. But anyway, there's a very personal connection. Yeah. People like that band really like that band. And so all this responsibility, all of this connection was there. And then Endpoint broke up. And it was like, you know, what what do we do now? Right. There weren't other bands that were drawing those numbers of people. Cause I think Endpoint King Horse broke up around that same time or right before as well. So the so shows were suddenly not as big like I was floundering to figure out what the heck I, I was still in school but I was like you know obviously not just satisfied with that because I just had a seven-year intensive experience with these guys uh, and then I was in found Amarok which had Tommy Brown in it uh, who played drums who was in by the grace of God and then um, I don't I can't remember what what the conversation what happened but there was a convert there was a conversation around hardcore and the fact that there were at that point there was a lot more like a lot of militancy had started happening right yeah. so i think that like there was earth crisis there was this like or there was all the things that were happening in the straight edge scene about you know like things happening in salt lake people were kind of developing straight edge gangs and we thought that we yeah. 
And we actually thought that we could, we, we planned, we was like, we can do this. And we had a discussion that we could provide a counter narrative, right? So uh-huh. we could have an alternative, like we can still play that type of music, that fast, straight edge sounding music, but we could not be one of those bands. And we we had friends in some of those bands, but we just thought like at the same time shows got really, you know, in the eighties, I'm embarrassed that you can, you know, of how hard I danced and put, you know, skanked and whatever we did. And at that time when you're young and dumb, but we just got really like all the violence it shows. We felt like you go to a hardcore show and then now you're getting oppressed. You can't watch the band without getting kicked in the face. And we want we yeah. we wanted to find those same kids that were drawn to Endpoint, those kind of nerdy kids that just needed connection. And we wanted to do that, I I think, within the current hardcore scene. So mm-hmm. uh Jonathan Mobley was in a wonderful band falling forward. Jay Palumbo had moved down from um Detroit. Um and then Duncan and I was already connected with Tommy and Tommy was planning, also planning Kendall's at that time. Uh, and then we are like, all right, we can do this. And we banged out some songs pretty quickly. We were fortunate to get that first seven inch uh, recorded on Victory. We got that out. And then, you know, it kind of took form from there. Perspective came out and then, uh, and then kind of life happened and we slowed down really quickly. So we did these two, we did a couple, put that record out. Um, I just realized you're not asking me about the trajectory of that band. You're asking no, about no, kind of what was, kind of what was there, what kind of fueled us as we kind of went on. Uh, so I guess the next part is we just kind of like stop and starts after that. Perspectives came out. We did a couple of great tours. We toured with uh, Snapcase, took us on tour. Avail took us on tour. We went did a great tour with uh, Good Riddance, AFI, us, and and you know yeah. you know who opened at the drive-in, which was crazy because they kind of blew us all away though it was kind of sad the three headliners were just like oh shit like watching them play like <laughs> every night and they were so amazing uh yeah and then after that yeah. like again people went to duncan went to school i moved to colorado uh spent a year there when he was there like life just kind of happened and we, we still really enjoyed being with each other and, and friendship but so we would just kind of come the way the way the band is now we just come back together when we could put out, record some songs, put out a record, play some shows. And it's this kind of still, you know, existing phenomenon. Then I went on to, other, I came back from Louisville and they did, did all the, what we call the, the series of uh, black bands. So there's a band, yeah. a, band, yeah. a band called Al Shea in the middle that put out seven inch, but the rest of them were all the black bands. And that was, the black bands were associated with uh, Ryan Patterson. So Duncan had, was uh-huh. living in a different place. And then Ryan and I started uh, playing together. And that was with, and then from Young Widows and these other bands that you had mentioned, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think like one of the, f- I think the first time I remember hearing the name By the Grace of God, I was actually, I got a zine somehow. It was a zine, I guess, a mid '90s kind of mid to late '90s zine, uh, but it had things like pictures and things about that Good Riddance uh, AFI and By the Grace of God tour, and so I was like what is this you know and then it was like i could still like google things at that point but you know it was still like took a lot of digging um and that's when i discovered by the grace of god so so it actually was very insightful to kind of like lead uh, for me personally like you know leading up to like in point two by the grace of god like kind of like what that looks like 
Um, so, and also I had this like narrative in my head because I believe this was at that kind of changing point of AFI. Um, and there's no real fact to this, but, but I like to think that almost like by the grace of God and probably good riddance too, really in a way influenced the sound, the style shift in AFI. But I'm, I'm trying to figure out like if I had my years right in this like fictional scenario that I've created in my mind. Uh, because that was pre but uh, Black Sails and the Sunset, I believe, that run that you all did together. I, you're, you're right. I believe it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if we had yeah. any influence on them at all. I mean, they were they were super <laughs> fun guys. Again, I, I mm-hmm. haven't followed as much the types of what they've done. I know they just released something just now or getting ready to. Uh, but I just remember they were fan. They were fantastic people and really fun to tour with. Yeah. But yeah, that was a, that was kind of a, yeah. I think out of those relationships, I mean, we loved Good Riddance and Duncan actually did a little tour with them. Like they needed a guitar player and kind of stepped in with them a little bit later. But I think the strongest connection we made out of those bands were with the Good Riddance guys. And not the Good Riddance guys, the uh, AFI guys. Ah, one more time. At the driving guys. At the driving guys. Because they were just corny like we were. They were like backwards from El Paso. We're from Kentucky. And we're like, let's get naked on stage. I mean, we're playing in Nevada and Mario just runs out completely butt naked like you know and that's something we would have done so yeah we were yeah uh, yeah i remember there was a point up until like the early mid 2000s where um there's a cutoff on it but people did like to get naked at like oh. heavy shows for a long period of time it, it definitely doesn't happen anymore and i'm not mad about it not happening but it seemed like every there's so many like hardcore like heavy music stories that end up with somebody getting naked um <laughs> we could we could do an, probably an hour and a half podcast on endpoint and, and nudity and it's it would not be appropriate and i you know it's no. probably traumatic at that time but our band members i mean the things they did with feces and nudity and it was just outrageous yeah um i guess like one thing i was always wondering too like in regards to by the grace of god um so what so when so when you said like perspective came out and then it kind of fits and starts. Uh, where does like for the love of indie rock fit in there? So that was that was before. That was the first thing that we did. So we sat. Because that was ninety six, right? Yeah, we sat down and we're like, oh, and, and somehow we made this connection with Victory. I think we had met Tony. I mean, I'd met Tony Brummel at a show, um, and they were they were going to put out our record. Uh, and then we, I remember, we're like, oh, we got to write these songs, and so we, you know, we wrote we wrote those. But first eight songs, I think there's six on the seven inch, but there's two more on the, um, that's, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, that's why in my head, I almost making an album because of those extra tracks, because since I'm looking at it in kind of hindsight, like it always has those extra tracks, but I guess what you're saying, like victory probably if, did they do vinyl at that point or was vinyl. it like CD? Yeah, they did vinyl. So that might've only had the six yeah, and the new, on the vinyl. And you know, Equal Vision just re-released those, and they put it all on yeah. like an album, so it's like the the real deal now. And it put a great yeah. And I, what I love about those re-releases is they put a um, uh, we did a we did a great cover. I don't know if it was great, but I love doing it of Shoots and Ladders, and so uh, yeah. that's on the Perspectives re-release. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, that recently came out. That was like very recently came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So look at that. Look at us. We're promoting. A recent release uh, for you. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I guess like 
kind of shifting to the present as I, you know, let you go since you've been so patient with me. Um, so currently in Charlotte, where you've lived for a few years, um, you're currently playing in a band called Jupiter Hearts. Um, so you don't have any recorded music unless uh, you're holding out on me. No, so. just just pra- just practice tapes. No, we are. Yeah. yeah. So I so I, I moved here for a, a different professor job at UNC Charlotte, and so again, kind of fish out of water. Thought it was kind of sad. You know, my whole life has been people, you know, giving me opportunities to be a, a singer again, which is great. But anyway, I came here, made the yeah. switch. The part of the switch I knew I'd be giving up a lot of the connections in music and, and Louisville music, and so by. Uh, serendipitous that our department chair used to book hardcore shows in the late 80s in west michigan and he's a, oh, wow. he a great guitar player and, and he was playing in a cover band i was like would you ever play originals he's like well i probably could and so um we uh formed a band with him and then uh another great guy tim creependorf who is from saw my bands in like 1992 saw endpoint play in germany and then saw by the grace of god in like 97 yeah. and somehow he lives here and he plays bass and so and then, um, and then Scott, Scott Wisher uh, at Lunchbox Records yeah. plays drums. And so we've got about 12 songs and uh, I'm hoping to record some stuff this fall. And it's kind of been a blast. It really has. I guess like if there's any, is there any way that we can connect any of this back to Ozzy in some certain way? Well, I mean, and the most obvious <laughs> way is, you know, he's un, unstoppable and somehow there are people beneath him that have helped lift him. So he can be that voice box. <laughs> I'm not, I really, it's like, I, I mean, I, I know that I contribute uh, to, to the bands. You know, I write lyrics and do whatever, but I couldn't do anything. If, if Duncan, you know, drove those bands. Uh, uh-huh. And then when I moved to, in, after 2000, it's like I met Ryan Patterson. He was a big driver, an extremely talented music writer. And then I thought I was like, oh no, I'm moving. I won't be able to play music anymore. And because we ended with Black God right the weekend before I moved to Charlotte, and then you know here I was again floundering like on oh, this music. And then now there's another group of fantastic people that you know give me a great opportunity to play music again. So I think that's how Ozzy is, right? There are people sharing yeah. and other musicians that step in to give him that opportunity, yeah. the thing he loves. So yeah, to let to let Ozzy be the best version of Ozzy. So in the same way, like, you know, these kind of groups that you're able to assemble, like allow you to like, you know, give the world a little bit more Rob Pennington. You know? Well, I don't know if that's a gift or a curse, but it makes me, <laughs> it makes me, yeah, I don't, I'm not comparing myself to Ozzy. I'm just saying that somehow I've, I've lucked into some really amazing, ta- super talented people that give me an opportunity to keep doing what I love the most. And I do. I'm a I feel the same way in music. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just love, I mean, I really do. I love people I play with. I know how hard it is. And I, you know, there's, you can ask the guys now, I still kind of jump around at practice. Like I, you just, it, it just turns on. Like I just love playing music. Don't think about it. It don't, nobody has to be there. It just, there's just something that channels uh, through me or that I'm able to kind of click into when I play. And I just absolutely don't know how to survive without that experience yeah well i appreciate you taking the time to speak with me you know it's been really amazing to catch up and we should hang out more i agree absolutely we need to come you guys need to come back up to the pool and swim around yeah you you've lived in charlotte for well 
it's been too long in a sense that like I feel like I should have I, I should I guess I'm apologizing to you now like I feel like we should have hung out a lot more than we've been able to and then now kind of looking back I think there was a point right before COVID where I was like I'm gonna hang out with Rob more and yeah I was only here then, for about a year before COVID happened and again I, yeah I mean we're, I came here with a bunch of research projects and so I was working my ass off I mean a bunch of big federal grants there to get off the ground and so it was just like a uh, blur year adjusting and then it's like all right it's time mm-hmm. to make friends and do some fun stuff and then oh uh, everything shut down so yeah here we are now here we are now Welcome back. Thanks again to Rob for coming on the pod. Always great catching up. Once again, check out those By the Grace of God Equal Vision reissues and keep an eye out for Rob's new band, Jupiter Hearts. Okay, next week we're chatting with comedian Mike Kaplan. We talked about Dan Burns' 2001 album, New American Language. Had an amazingly deep chat with Mike while he was out on the road a few weeks ago doing some comedy shows. Like I mentioned at the top, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media. That's at spinningoutpod on Twitter and Instagram. Please leave a review and recommend us to a friend wherever you do that sort of thing. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme music. With that said, see you next week. <laughs>